The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We've been looking at 1 Timothy. And we've been looking at a letter that was written by Paul to this young, gifted pastor in the, in the early church. And I want to remind you, um, even as we've been looking at this, that moms matter. First Timothy, um, or Second Timothy, if you will, verse 1. If you could go to that. I don't think this is going to work today. That's all right. Um, first Timothy 1.5 says this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul says this to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. In other words, Timothy was the product of his mom's and his grandmother's discipleship. Their, uh, oh Lois, oh Eunice, it was their faith in Christ, their trust in Christ that they poured into their grandson and in their son, and they made their mark on both Paul and Timothy. And in this verse, Paul is literally saying, you know what, Timothy, you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Um, You know why? Well, because I know your grandmother and I know your mother. Their reputation goes before you, Timothy. So Timothy here was a product of a faithful grandmother, a faithful mother, Mothers matter. I, I absolutely love that. So moms, we, we love you. We're grateful for all that you do, the seen things and the unseen things. Um, so to all the Loises and Eunices, happy Mother's Day. Um, one more thing before we get into our text this morning um, that I did want to share. I have been talking, we have been talking about this quite a bit. And I can't believe that it's finally here. I'm really excited for this. But I want to invite you one more time to our gospel stillness seminar um, that we are putting on. And believe it or not, is this coming Saturday. Um, So in many ways, uh, I really, truly have been kind of preparing this for two years. And so it is weird that it's here. And um, it's this Saturday, May 20th. It's going to be hosted at Northeast Bible Church on the northeast side of our, our city. And um, it's going to go from 8 in the morning, roughly 4 or to 5 p.m., uh, most likely earlier. It's a whopping $5. And uh, that $5 is going to cover lunch and snacks and coffee. You know me. We'll have some coffee there. Um, it's all included. And, and listen, I know life is so busy and uh, crazy and, and noisy And um, this seminar is going to look at how all of that noise just might be impacting our spiritual life. And the discipline of silence and solitude pushes against that push and pull of our modern life in a really profound way. And my hope and prayer and work for this seminar is really to provide a biblical foundation for this Discipline for understanding and practicing this discipline in a way that is not mystic or kooky. Some of you are like, I'm not going to this because that's crazy. No, in a way that's not mystic, in a way that's not kooky, um, and also in a way that's not monastic, like a secluded monk in a monastery somewhere. 
Um, but to look at this in a way that is biblical and real and needed, and I hope you can join me. Um, the time is coming uh, for registrations to close, and so um, I want to encourage you register today. That link should be ready to go. If you have any trouble registering, please let me know, um, and I hope you'll you'll be able to join me this Saturday. If you and again, any questions, I would love to to help in any way that I can. All right, all right. So this morning is. Uh, I'm going to give up on it, is going to be a little different. Um, we are looking at, this morning, we're shifting into a new section of First Timothy together. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at elders specifically and their, their qualifications, what they are supposed to be or who they are supposed to be. Uh, we looked at what they are supposed to do in the church. And this morning, we turn the corner and we're looking at Deacons, the biblical qualifications and functions of deacons in the church. It's going to be a little bit of a different morning for us, but hang with me. So as elders, we, we looked about, we talked about the men, um, who they must be, what they must do. So biblical qualifications and, and also what they do biblically, their function. Um, and, the, and what we're going to do is do the very same thing for deacons, only we're going to do it in uh, reverse order. So this morning, we are going to talk about what deacons must do. Next week, we're going to talk about who deacons must be. Um, and in order to understand what deacons must do, we're going to take a trip back in history um, to look at the very first deacons ever, the OGs, okay? The very first deacons. We're going to take a look at that. So um, I know you would expect to turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. Don't do that, though. Turn with me to Acts. The book of Acts, you can camp out somewhere right in the first couple chapters. We're going to move through it pretty, pretty quickly here. Um, and listen, there is a lot of confusion around deacons. And uh, uh, just as an illustration of this, I want you to imagine that I gave every one of you a piece of paper and every one of you a pen and I said, on that piece of paper, on that pen, alone, don't consult with your neighbor, write out a deacon's biblical job description. Go. Write out what a deacon must do in the church. Write out a deacon's roles and responsibilities. Go. I would imagine that if I collected those papers, that they would be wildly different. Let's expand this a little bit, and let's pretend that right now in every church across our city, that the pastor does the very same thing. So every person sitting in a church right now gets a piece of paper, writes out, that answers that very same question. I bet the diversity of those papers would be absolutely incredible. And um, I, I would bet we would get a large number of papers that came back with just a big old question mark. Like, I, I don't know. You tell me. Like, um, here's the reason I bring this up. I want to start in Acts even before we get to 1 Timothy so that we can create a baseline of what we're talking about. And I think this is, this, is, this is really important. So let's go back in history a little bit. Let's see what God is doing in the early church, what we might be able to learn and what we might be able to kind of apply from the early church to our church today. So Acts, uh, in Acts 1, it kind of opens up with right after Jesus completes his work. Completes his work um, and, and uh, accomplishes it all. He gives his life. He takes our sin on the cross, cries out, it is finished, and it was. Then we, 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 we see in, in 
the Gospels that his body was placed in the tomb for three days until that day he rose, rising from death to life and, and conquering death. And, and here's the thing, appearing to hundreds, like eating with and walking with his disciples, he's alive. And then the time comes, and this is where Acts kind of opens up, where Jesus, it's time to go return to the Father, his work being done, and we see something that we call the ascension in Acts. And um, in this moment, right as Acts opens, um, we see his disciples gathering around Jesus, and they're asking him a question, and he does what Jesus so often does, does not answer the question they ask, but instead does something better. And in this case, gives them a powerful promise. So we see in in Acts 1, uh, for example, 6, we see them saying, hey, Lord, um, is this the time? You're going to restore the kingdom. Is this it? And he said, it's not for you to know that. Again, Jesus, not answering the question sometimes that we have, um, responds to their question with something so much better. Not an answer to the question, but a promise and a big one. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What an incredible mission. What an incredible promise that Jesus gives here. It's a mission and a promise given to his people, his church. And so then if we were to fast forward, which we can, we're going to go quick here. We see it happens. The promise comes true. Uh, in the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit just goes, That's the sound I imagine anyway. It dwells the church. And we have the day of Pentecost. And the promise that Jesus gave, the spirit indwelling happens. And then what we see is, is the people of God filled with the spirit of God. And then we see by the power of God, God doing incredible things. The gospel is spreading. Church is growing Miracles are happening and people are responding to the gospel. Not everyone likes that, though, at all. Uh, the powers that be at the time eh, did not like it. Um, and the people of God were facing all kinds of persecution and pushback. But through it all, they had the spirit of God. They had the power and the presence of God. So bring it, right? Um, my son's going to be very proud of me. I'm going to quote the rapper, theologian, pastor, Trip Lee. I'm not going to rap, though. <laughs> Will not do that. I'm not going to embarrass myself like that. But he says, what are they going to do? What? Murder us? What murder does is send a surge of us to go put churches up. Love that. It's better if you rap it, but it, it, you get it. <laughs> and that's what I see in Acts. The pressure, the persecution just, poof, it spreads. But here's the thing, the, gospel, the apostles, they get arrested. They face all kinds of persecution, heavy, heavy persecution. So much so that the people of God are praying specifically for boldness as they face this. Um, we read about this in, in Acts uh, 4. In Acts 4, where in, in verse 29, they say, and now look at, upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They're feeling that pressure. They're praying for boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, 
Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's really cool. That is so cool. The church is growing, and they were caring for each other as a part of that mission. Um, We see in Acts 4, 32, what scripture says about them. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of, I love this statement right here, were of one heart and soul. One. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they were generous and they had everything in common. And with a great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrected, uh, resurrection of the Lord Jesus and a great grace was upon them all. God was doing incredible things in the early church, in and through them, just as he promised to do. The power and the grace of Christ. Here's the thing, though. Along with that growth came challenges, very real challenges, um, important challenges. We see, if you would look with me at Acts 6, some of these challenges Acts 6, it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, Acts 6, 1. In other words, that's the growth we are talking about. Praise God for that growth. The disciples believing in Jesus, belonging to the family of God, were growing and increasing. God was doing a work, revival, and people were responding. And then right in that growth comes the challenge. It says this, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews. Okay, these are two different people, groups within the culture and um, in the church. Um, In some ways, this is good old-fashioned prejudice here. And uh, when I say that, I don't mean racial, because both the Hellenists and the Hebrews were both Jewish. Um, This prejudice that we see here was cultural. It was cultural prejudice. One being the Greek-speaking Greek-influenced not as pure, the other being the Aramaic, Palestinian, more pure, more pure. So two different cultures. In the culture that did not play nicely together, uh uh-oh, what happens in the church? That's what we see here. They were so different. There's a commentator who says, the outsiders, quote-unquote, didn't act, talk, or live like the pure-blooded Palestinian Jews so they were treated like second-class citizens. This was a huge problem in the society, a huge problem, huge issue in the church. And by the way, I love this about the church. There are so many times we don't get this right. But listen, I love this about the gospel. I love, uh, think about the communion table. I love this. Think about the communion table because I think it, it shows us something so vivid. So I don't care who you are. I don't, I don't care your background, um, rich, poor, tall, short, the boss, or the entry-level employee, all races, all ethnic groups, all cultures. It doesn't matter. When you come to the table in Christ, guess what? You stand shoulder to shoulder. In what other arena of life? Like, that's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And that's a a symbol of what Christ has done. And that's the gospel unites us. Now, unfortunately, in so many ways, the church can easily forget about this. And we see division rather than diversity in the church. 
But I got to tell you, that's not the heart of God, and that's not the way the story ends either. Like, fast forward, we're not going to see the white church over there, black church over there, rich church over there, poor church back there, that culture over here, that culture over here. No. What we see in Scripture is people from every tribe, nation, and tongue coming together to worship the King of Kings. That's the heart of God. And, and in Christ, that's the end. And here in Acts, the gospel is spreading, doing its work. And, and man, how difficult is it that diversity is cropping up in the church? And they're having to deal with those challenges, those growing pains. And um, so here we have a complaint by the Hellenists rising up against the Hebrews. And why, what was that complaint? It was because their widows, the Hellenistic widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. There's a, a commentator that, that expresses it like this. He says, as in our society, widows are often, are often struggled more than others to provide for themselves. Unlike our society, no Medicare or Medicaid programs, no pension or insurance policies could take care of older people. No, God gave the church that responsibility. It's a different world. So this complaint here that we see when this prejudice creeps into the church and certain people are being neglected, this was a huge deal. Big deal. Big issue in the church as it seeks to care well for each other in the community. So we look, verse 2. So the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, take this statement in. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Pause. At first, we can read that little statement right there. Um, with a 21st century kind of American church lens. And that sounds like such a terrible statement, does it not? I want you to imagine this. Like, like, it's like they're saying, look, we cannot come off this stage like, to help hurting people. Come on. Um, we're preachers, and that's beneath us. And, and serving tables, are you kidding me? Like, we can read that this through those lenses and we can think about the stage and the lights and the audiences and the American church and we can read it through that. We can impose the American church on the early church. But I have to tell you, there is nothing further from the truth in this text. Um, here, the preaching of the word was not glamorous. It was dangerous. The preachers were not the rock stars. They were the future martyrs. More than that, the danger of false teaching and false doctrine was so real and so imminent, and it threatened the very existence of this church, of the early church. It could bring it crumbling down. The preaching of the word is critical to the survival of the church because this is the word of God. Amen. We are built on this. And so this statement, it's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. This is no cop-out. This is no cop-out. This is a weighty statement that says we must continue preaching the word, whatever may come. We've got to continue in this. Last week, we talked about elders. We talked about the job of elders were, was to, was to um, protect and feed and lead the sheep, right? That's what they were called to do. And here, the elders are saying, we can't stop our responsibility of protection and feeding and leading the sheep. We cannot stop. 
And at the same time, those sheep need to be cared for. And so in verse 3, here's what happens. Therefore, it says, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And here, church, we have the church given its first deacons. The word deacon, literally, it's a word in, in Greek, diakonos, that literally means servant, serve. It means to serve. This term that we see in this early church, um, what we see um, next week as we actually get back to what we're supposed to be looking at in 1 Timothy, um, is talking about not just those who serve in the church, but those who fulfill a specific office in the church called deacon. And um, those men who would serve the church in a very special way, in a special office. And let me tell you, the first men to serve in this role, in this office, were incredible men of faith, especially one of them that we know most about. Verse 5 said, they were pleased with this, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, I'm going to butcher some of these names. I'm just going to go for it, though, and sound confident as I do it. So Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, like Timon and Pumbaa, that's what I think about here, uh, Parmenas, Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. And so let me tell you, though, Stephen, the first one that's listed there, is one of my top three favorite characters in all of the Bible. We won't have time, but you can continue reading in the next couple chapters of his incredible story. Um, Just an incredible man of faith. And so they set them before the apostles in verse 6. They prayed and they laid hands on them. And then in verse 7 it says, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It was spreading. Why was the church growing? Why was God blessing and increasing them? Well, it was because God was doing a work through his word like he promises to do. And it was going out, and people were being, the gospel was being proclaimed, and God's people were being cared for. And the church grew. The sheep were being protected, fed, and led. And here we see that the sheep were also being cared for, seen, and served. That's awesome. That is the scene, a picture for how the church is to function. God loves his church. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he cares that his sheep are protected, fed, and led, and cared for, seen, and served. He cares. And this is why leadership in the church matters so much. And this is why elders and deacons matter so much. Elders and deacons are the only two kind of offices, if you will, that scripture gives us for the church. And we've spent the last several weeks talking about elders and about their qualifications, who they must be, what they must do. Um, Last week, if you remember, again, elders protect the flock. Number two, elders feed the flock. And number three, elders lead the flock. This is what God calls elders to do in the church. That's what he calls them to do. Calls them. Protect, feed, and lead. So as we turn now to our deacons, 
We're going to talk about who they must be, their qualifications next week as we look at the text. But first, let's talk about what deacons must do. As I said, elders protect, feed, and lead. As we turn to deacons, I'm going to give, cover those three responsibilities that I brought up. Number one, deacons care for the flock. Meaning, they offer care and support for the congregation. And the church is a collection of people with talents and abilities and spiritual gifts and passions and also a people with hurts, with needs, and with stories that God brings together. And deacons are appointed by God to the church to care for the people. Um, They were appointed in Acts to care for a group in the church that were being overlooked. And deacons were there to care for them. And I want you to hear me loud and clear on this. Um, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Deacons are not the only ones that do the caring in the church. Um, Deacons are not the ones who take that caring pressure off of your shoulders. Great, now we have deacons. I don't have to do that. That's not what God's word says. Um, But deacons are given to the church by God in order to lead out in the church to make sure that the church is being cared for. Church scripture is clear, very clear, um, of its call for you to love one another, to care for each other, to, to give yourself for each other. All the one another's, all those one another's are yours. Whether the church has deacons or not, those still are yours. Um, but deacons, they don't take that calling away from you, but they come alongside of you. And they help our church make sure that no one is missed and that our congregation is cared well for. Um, I am not, and I never have been, a shepherd of real life like sheep out in the field. Uh, I know that might shock you, um, but no, I I have not. Um, I've read a lot of books about shepherding in my line of work because the Bible's full of shepherding metaphors. One of my favorite books ever written is a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, which is exactly what the title says. It's a wonderful book. Um, Every book, everything you read about shepherds and sheep, there's one thing that is so clear. Sheep kind of smell, and they're dirty, and they get needy, and they get tangled up, and they get hurt, and they get attacked by weird bugs, And they get turned around. They get bitten by things. I mean, all kinds of things are happening to the sheep. And a shepherd's job is to care for those sheep. Not passively, like, I'll be over here if you need me, let me know. No, actively involved with the sheep, caring for the sheep. And part of caring for the sheep like this is to have eyes for the sheep. Which leads me to the second responsibility of a shepherd, and that is deacons watch the flock. Deacons watch the flock. Deacons are to look out among the sheep and to make sure that there are no sheep who are being missed, who are being neglected, wandering off, sheep who are hurting or in danger. If you think back to Acts 6, um, they were appointed in Acts to make sure to be on the lookout for a specific group of people, the Hellenistic widows, 
who were among the most vulnerable people in the community and probably the ones who would be the easiest to overlook. They were needy. They didn't bring a lot of money into the... No. They would have been easy to overlook as the church was growing and exploding with growth. They were the least of these in that community. And yet deacons cared for and watched out for the sheep. Kept an eye, a sharp eye, so that the ministry of the word could continue and that the church could be a place of care and love. Um, I know, or at least I think I know, that we don't have the same kind of conflict today between Hellenistic um, widows and Palestinian Jews. Uh, I don't think that's our, our, our uh, conflicts in our church today. But here's the thing. We do face similar challenges. As we grow and do ministry here at Stone Oak Bible, it is very easy. It would be so easy to miss needs and for people to be overlooked. One of the primary roles of the biblical deacon is to watch the flock and to make sure that no sheep is being overlooked. And so here at our church, um, we have people who have very real challenges and needs. Um, we have people also, I don't know if you know this, who come in from our community and just pop in asking for help or assistance. Um, I mean, we're a church, and so often hurting people will come to the church looking for money to help them in their things that they have going on in life. And, and listen, here at Stone Oak, our deacons oversee that for the glory of God, because it's our joy to help those who are in need. But in the same way, we want to help them in a way that is wise and good, knowing that there are those who would come seeking to take advantage of God's people and to steal God's people's money. We know that. And so deacons, what do they do? They watch out for the flock. They watch the flock. We want to help in a way that is wise and faithful as faithful stewards of the resources that God has given to us as his church for the glory of God. Deacons care for the flock and deacons watch out for the flock and that leads to the central, absolutely central function of a deacon. Number three, deacons serve the flock. Deacons serve the sheep. They were appointed in Acts 6 to serve the tables, to make sure the congregation had what it needed, which again, in the life of the church and in the community, this was critical, mission critical, that this took place. Deacons serve. It, it, the word literally means, deacon literally means to serve. So one of the ways that we, we talk about this here, and I think a language that could maybe help us, um, and if you could put this up here, is elders are our servant leaders, and deacons are our lead servants. Elders are our servant leaders, and deacons are our lead servants. Both of those functions are absolutely vital for the church. Both of those offices are critical to the life and health of a church so that the gospel will continue to go forward and that the church will continue to be loved and cared for. Both of these are vital. To say this differently, the church, the congregation, our church is healthy. We are healthy. We are strong when we are led by godly elders and we are served by godly deacons. 
We are healthy. We are strong. When the church is led by godly elders and served by godly deacons. Um, it mattered in the early church in Acts. It matters in 1 Timothy. And church, it matters for us today. And I want to uh, give just one important note on this. Um, I, I made that example of passing out a piece of paper, everyone writing down, what does a deacon do? Um, there is a very good reason why you would struggle with that and we would have different answers. It's because God gives the church a good deal of flexibility. Why is that? Why doesn't scripture give us a detailed job description for these roles in every situation? Why doesn't this tell us you need X amount of deacons for X amount of people? Um, why doesn't it tell us at this size and age and stage you need this? And why doesn't it say, hey, here are the term limits? And why doesn't it say, hey, deacons, you need to meet X amount of times? And those meetings need to be broken out like this. Why doesn't it say that? Well, Scripture gives us this flexibility that I think is absolutely beautiful because our churches exist in different communities. We deal with different needs and challenges and we have different opportunities in front of us. One of the reasons that scripture, why different churches have different policies and different procedures when it comes to deacons specifically is because we are in different communities with different needs and different challenges and different opportunities. And there's a certain level of flexibility that we have to apply the word of God to our local church in a way that is faithful, in a way that the word is being proclaimed and that the people are being cared for. We have flexibility in this. And I love that. I, I, I think about our church in comparison to Acts 6. We don't have the same challenges that they had. But we do, church, have those who are still hurting. And those who are facing challenges in our church. And um, think about this. We face unique challenges in the simple fact we are a mobile church. Don't we? Now, the Bible doesn't say anything about mobile church policies, but here's the deal. We're a mobile church, and, and, and let me tell you, each and every week, if these needs are neglected, we don't sit under the preaching of the word like we are right now. Our church has unique needs, and praise God that he has given us godly deacons in his grace for us so that we can continue on in our ministry and continue loving and serving those who come in. Now, um, I want to kind of pause and ask. We're not going to continue going. We're going to pick up in 1 Timothy uh, next week. But before we land our plane here this morning, there's one more important thing that I want us to land it on, okay? Um, when we think about deacons, we need to look at Jesus. And you're like, Duh. Um, listen, we need to look at Jesus because the heart of a deacon is the heart of Jesus. The heart of a deacon is the heart of Christ, and it's the heart that each one of us are called to have in Christ, this heart of a deacon. We look to Jesus. There's this uh, text in Matthew 20. You don't need to turn with me here. Matthew 20. Um, he, Jesus is talking. He says, you know, 
that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And um, he's, he's basically saying, look, I know the way the world runs and I know the way the world's doing their thing. But, verse 26, it shall not be so among you. That's not the way of Jesus. In fact, listen, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Same word, diakonos, must be your servant. The great ones must be like deacons. They must serve. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave or servant or bond servant. And then listen to this. Verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to diakonos, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as the ultimate example of a servant, the ultimate example of a deacon and deaconing in the church. When we think of serving in the church, we think of Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 2, let each of you look not only out to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, verse 7, emptied himself, taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you. He served. You did not deserve it. You certainly did not earn it. And Jesus certainly did not deserve what he received on that cross, but he laid himself down, gave himself for you, and the love of God was demonstrated to you so that while you were dead in your sin, Christ died for you. Jesus took the form of a servant, and now our call is to follow him and to give ourselves for others. Jesus was the ultimate example of a servant. And we are called to be servants like Jesus. And in the church, here's the thing. Our deacons, those are the lead servants that show us what it's like to exemplify the heart of Christ. If you want to make disciples, dads, serve. Serve your kids. Serve with your kids. Let them see the heart of Jesus in you as you serve. This is, this is huge. And deacons remind us that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this morning, um, I do need to finish here. I wish that instead of two weeks, I could just have four hours, but I won't do that on Mother's Day of all days. Um, We're gonna pause here. And as we do, we look to Jesus. We are talking about serving in the church. We need to stop and consider what he has done to serve his church. Um, I've asked Caitlin um, to sing a special song. Um, And it was pretty late, and she's so gracious and so talented to just not make me feel terrible for asking her to do this. Um, But this song's been on my heart. And... um, It's so simple, 
and, and so powerful. And I want to ask you, um, as we sing it, if you don't know it, just to listen to these lyrics and as you catch on to sing it out with us. But I want to read just a little bit of these lyrics for us before we respond. See on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that gave me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. What he's done, oh, what he's done. All glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he has done. Sing for the freedom he has won. Even death is dead and done. His life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names. Over every broken place, he is risen from the grave. And again, what he's done. Oh, what he has done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he has done. I praise God for what he has done. Church, as we consider what he has done, how he gave himself, let us now for the joy that is before us give ourselves for each other.